Hello, and welcome to the Sales Compensation Experience Podcast, the ultimate destination for everything about sales compensation design and administration. This is where the complex becomes clear, where theory meets practice, where dark arts meet science. On the experience, we promise to keep things insightful, professional, and let's admit it, just a touch irreverent. So whether you're designing, administering, or getting paid on a sales compensation plan, we've got you covered. So buckle up, because it's time to get experienced. Hello, Scott. Welcome back for part two of our three-part series on the plan design process. Thanks, Justin. Good to be here. All right. I think today in part two, what we want to talk about is the actual creation or the design of the sales compensation plan, the incentive plans themselves. Talk about how people decide what goes into the plan, what gets changed, and maybe just as importantly, what doesn't go into plan. And I think offline, when we were chatting about this particular topic, when changes are being made, even to something what the plan design committee might think is simple, a simple new measure introduced to the plan, what are the things the company should be thinking about uh, to avoid setting themselves up for failure by making that change? Let's dig in. Let's do it. All right, so so plan design creation. How we did the assessment, we d- discovered some things, we either validated some hypotheses or we rejected our initial hypotheses of what was working and not working in the plan, and now we want to start to structure the plans themselves. What's the first step? Well, I think it's being clear on the structure. So, what goes into a plan? You know, what are the, the core ingredients of plan design? What's the anatomy of a plan? And there, there's a, a hierarchy, right, of decisions that are involved in, in the plan design process. It starts with the growth strategy. So how is the organization using its people, its human resources, to execute on the revenue growth strategy. So the, the first step is being clear, right, and on, on the answer to that question. And that helps clarify where sales compensation fits in. Um, so there, there is, you know, also a hierarchy just in terms of strategic clarity in that, you know, you're talking at kind of the, you know, the, the more strategic level, right, the uh, value proposition, you know, the products or solutions involve customer segmentation, all this stuff. You start to get into, you know, organization and, you know, organizational alignment and jobs, what are jobs responsible for? And then you get into compensation. And there's, um, you know, widely held view with sales compensation design that, you know, plans, a sales comp plan is built around a specific job. And if you have, let's say, five different sales jobs, unique sales jobs, well, you can expect to have five different plans. So clarity on the strategy and the jobs and what is it the jobs are responsible for, that really has to be nailed down first. And that is the, the first kind of stop 
in our plan design process or journey, right? Is to be very clear. If you don't have that clarity, then it's very difficult to design plans or determine what's wrong with the plans. You know, we think of the assessment topic uh, that, that uh, preceded this one. Um, you've got to have that clarity. The next step is um, it's it's specific to the jobs and it's around the criteria for a job's plan eligibility. And what I mean by that is, you know, there, there's some jobs that look, they're responsible for, you know, signing new customers, right? And some that are pretty straightforward account managers, right? They, they manage the account. They're responsible for ensuring that the customer continues to buy. Hopefully they buy more. Hopefully they don't, they don't leave or, you know, reduce the amount that they're buying from us, the account manager. So there, there are some that are pretty straightforward that, you know, these are sales jobs. They're commonly on a sales comp plan. There's somewhere it's not that, that straightforward. And maybe when you look across an industry, let's say like SaaS companies, and you have data that says, you know, what the frequency of companies is that has a particular job on a plan, and it's not particularly prescriptive, and you don't know if they should be on a plan. And there's some, right, that, that usually aren't. Like, let's say a sales operations job, a deal desk job, and you're going to tie part of their target pay to sales volume or sales goal achievement, and then you start to see that there's some conflicts of interest there, you know? So it's it's eligibility, and it gets pretty high in, in, or, you know, pretty early in in the the process. It's really about making a determination as to whether a job should even be on a sales comp plan, because if it shouldn't, then we don't need it on our list. And all other things being equal, we can simplify our process by removing a job from this process. So we've got our, our strategic clarity. We've got our eligibility. Third third step in the process is about the value of the job. So now we're, we're getting job specific and we need to have agreement, right? Our decision-making is probably going to include what is the value of this job? How much can somebody in this job expect to earn? If they're doing what we're asking them to do, if they hit their sales goals, for example. And then how are we structuring the pay between base salary, you know, it's fixed pay, and their on-target incentive amount, right, or at-risk pay, the variable portion of the pay. So that's the third piece is pay. The fourth is, what do we measure you for purposes of determining their variable pay? And that gets to the job responsibilities, that gets to the sales strategy, and what this person needs to do in order to help execute our growth strategy. So the performance measures, then last, to kind of keep things simple, well, there are subsequent steps, of course, but I'd say that the last thing in our primary structure has to do with the math, the, the mechanics involved in taking a performance score Somebody achieves 98% of quota, let's say in a quarter, and translating that score into a payment amount. That's the math. And, you know, it's pay mechanics. So we talked about accelerators that would fall into this, this category of decisions. Um, you know, it's calculation and math. or something. Sometimes it's just as quick as, uh, you know, a, a V look up, right? Looking up into a schedule. Okay, based on this range of performance, here's what I get paid. It doesn't have to be complicated. 
but it's uh, it's it's how you determine a payment amount. So that's our structure. I like the the, the simplified approach. I think the first thing you talked about this idea of what's changed in their go-to-market strategy. You know, do they have a new segment they're selling into? Have they launched a new product? Um, do they think they're going to find more revenue from existing customers this year rather than net new? Some of those decisions have to be made really before you dig into what do you want to change in the plan or you're not going to have a lot of clarity as to to what to change on the plan. Yeah. I think for different companies, that, that's, that could be wildly different in the upcoming year. Or in some companies, it could be pretty par for the course. Not a lot is is changing. But hopefully, based upon the assessment phase, those questions were asked and answered before you get into, you know, deep into the design phase where you're, you're in for a lot of iterations as time goes on. Yeah. For the... Yeah. the I had yeah. a drink with a guy not long ago, right? This, this will underscore your point. He's a sales professional. He's all bent out of shape. And, uh, you know, it came, it came known that, you know, I work on sales compensation plans. He said, well, I'm really upset about a change in ours that was recently uh, rolled out. And I said, well, you know, tell me about it. And he said, well, our commission, you know, I was getting paid like 11%. And, you know, now it's down to eight. And I said, okay, when, why, you know, what's, what's the rationale for the change? So what, why that change? I don't know. So I said, I don't know why they... They just cut our commission rate. Right. Now, there's yeah. probably more of the story. No, there's that, some poor communication there as to why. But yeah. That's what's in this person's head. So, uh, yeah, why are we making the change? What is yeah. it that led us to this um, this particular um, point? And why is it a good change for you, salesperson? Even though your commission rate was maybe reduced, ideally, there's an opportunity to make up for that yeah, or, or even make more. Well, yeah. There, I think that maybe this is something to underscore as we walk through the phases of the process. I think somebody in some fashion should be thinking about how does these decisions being made, uh, the why, the what, the how people are going to make money needs to be put into some sort of narrative for that eventual communication and rollout. Where in this particular case, you mentioned this idea of commission going from 11% to 8%. You know, the other half of the story could be, yeah, but the overage rate went from 12 to 20 or mm-hmm. people over quota. Or maybe, you know, they put a, a bunch of money into a different type of performance measure for a different product that is is juiced up in some way. Because in my mind, right, the total target compensation either didn't change or went up. There has to be other ways, other paths for the person to get uh, back to total target comp and in the money. But nobody must have explained it in a very clear fashion to them. And so their their eyes immediately went to the, hey, this was 11. Now it's eight. This is bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're taking it. The... The second thing you mentioned, like for eligibility of sales comp, I see this all at a lot of companies where I think that people want to put people on a variable pay plan of some sort. They want to pay people per performance. They want employees to 
share a little bit of the risk with the company and not have things be completely base pay. But then instead of thinking about an appropriate KPI or MVO for that position, they want to tie it to sales. So just a direct, hey, if the company isn't selling, you're not earning. Mm-hmm. When oftentimes these roles don't have what I have always called influence, some people will call it prominence, no direct influence or prominence in either progressing the sale or closing the sale in some way, shape, or form. And for me, that kind of comes down to that simple question of, you know, do they help progress deals or do they close deals? Well, then I think yes is my yes, my first kind of checkbox of should they be on a sales compensation plan? But if they don't, well, no, right? Tie it to something that they can actually control within their job. And that goes into different, you know, theories of motivation of, you know, paying for paying somebody for somebody that something that they can't control. Well, that's just the lottery. Either you win or you don't. You're, there's not much you can do about it. So why would you work any harder? Why would you change any behaviors to help uh, achieve that goal? But I think it's important because to me, I've also always coached people on the idea that that sales compensation dollars are precious and they should be spent wisely. And you're trying to maximize the return. For every dollar you spend, you want some multiple back and you don't want to dilute that in some fashion or spend it on some some crazy measure or metric that isn't going to give you that maximal return. And so let's really try to sharpen the spear, come up with what are the best ways to spend that money uh, to get that maximum return. Yeah, it is precious in the sense that it's variable expense. And when you're trying to plan for your expenses in a a large organization, you're minimizing um, surprises you know, and volatility is critical. And so the more pay that you have that's variable, you know, the the more likely you can have some surprises and more difficult it is to to predict your expense. Um, so that's why I've always encouraged you know, just in principle, right, to be very conservative about which jobs that you have on, you know, sales compensation um, and how much variable pay that you have and really how variable that is, you know, how difficult it is to, um, to predict. And, you know, a lot of times the, the issue is, you know, that you're trying to fix or solve for or unwind is somewhat cultural when it comes to eligibility and that there's an organizational culture that is, Hey, you know, everybody's got skin in the game. Everybody's a salesperson. Um, but then there's kind of a reality uh, which is in practice. And if, you know, the business is operating in a mature market, they've got, you know, mature mark, uh, mature jobs, you know, there's a, a viable talent market for it. You can kind of get a clear idea of, okay, does this type of job tend to have, you know, 20% or more of their target pay that's at risk, you know, versus like a base salary and a 10% bonus or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think there are, you know, there's a fairly objective means by which to get at okay, what's good practice for eligibility. And then if it's not particularly clear, you alluded to criteria, right, that you can use as a means by which to come up with kind of an objective call as to, well, you know, we we don't think this job should be, you know, it should have a lot of variable pay and be in a sales comp plan, or, you know, maybe it is a good a good candidate for it. 
let me let me make sure I understood what you said correctly because I think maybe this is a good rule for people to think about. If a if you came up with a job role, and for some reason you thought that the plan mix should be less aggressive than eighty twenty, maybe it shouldn't be on sales compensation. Is eighty twenty like the least aggressive mix you would ever recommend? Somewhere around there is a threshold below which, you know, if we're talking about 20 or 10, you know, let's say 90, 10, there's not enough even variable pay to really kind of maybe shift. Yeah, the, I like mean, you you're, you're, you're kind of splitting hairs. And yeah. um, when, you know, you think about the work, the administrative work that's got to go into, you know, ensuring that those people are paid correctly, um, or, you know, if it, if it even matters, like maybe the, the pay at risk is, you know, such limited consequence that, you know, the people on these planets aren't even paying attention. So that's a, a helpful, you know, looking at the pay mix and the percent of the target total pay that's base salary versus, you know, variable at target. That's a helpful way to say, all right, are we, you know, is this really what we want to do? You know, yeah. is it important? We may get some friendly? feedback from some HR folks that do broad-based incentives. I see a lot of 93.7 plans in the general population for some reason. This is this this blend of 7% bonus pay for some reason seems popular right now, but not for sales yeah, jobs. I'm saying broad-based pay, yeah. Yeah, yeah if, if it's not at risk pay and then, you know, then right. kind of a different set of, set of parameters. You, you ever heard the story of JFK, the janitor? And I'll, I'll probably butcher the, the story. But, I, I uh, Yeah, when JFK goes and visits NASA and, uh, you know, he's walking down the hallways and he sees a janitor, you know, sleep in the hallways and he asks him, you know, introduces himself and asks him, what is he up to? What's his, what's his part in this? And he's, you know, what's your job? And he says, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Yeah. And this idea, right, that everybody is uh, rowing in the same direction, right? You want people in the company to say, hey, we all are here uh, to achieve the same thing. More revenue, faster revenue, you know, to grow um, type of thing. But how you pay them is very different. That's right. Yeah. And it, it you know, I think makes the point that you, you can, um, you know, inspire, right, motivation and, you know, to a certain degree accountability, right, for organizational objectives. Uh, in absence of a of a sales compensation plan, so it's it's one of multiple management programs designed to motivate behavior and recognize um, results. Um, but it's just one. You know, it, it happens to be relatively emotional, uh, or can be. Um, and you know, can be very systematically, um, you know, involving or burdensome, right? Because, uh, you know, a lot of these sales and sales jobs and people's involvement in it can be a little complex to measure. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the measures themselves within a plan. Before we jumped on, uh, to, to record the show, you mentioned this idea or concept of gradating the plan. And it was in reference to the idea of adding in a new measure to the plan. And I think when a lot of people think about this, you know, today their plan has two measures, three measures, 
Maybe it's not great and has five, seven. But oftentimes people don't think about taking out a way to pay. They oftentimes think about adding in a way to pay. Mm -hmm. But when people think about changing the measures in a plan, there's some risk involved with that. Do you want to talk about what we, we chatted with earlier about what are the what are the risks of changing a primary measure uh, in a sales plan? I think of it as the, the reliability of the measure. And that's, you know, both kind of an internal view, you know, specific to the company. And I think more broadly, you know, what's common for that type of job and the person in the job in the market. So something like, you know, I'll use the SaaS example again, if it's, you know, annual contract value, you know, ACV, that's the, the basis for credit. Well, that's not particularly foreign, you know, from a market perspective, you know, any sales person, you know, it's worked for a few SaaS companies will will recognize that as being a common measure. And then internally, well, hopefully, you know, the company has a pretty reliable means by which to measure ACV because that's, you know, the basis for which, you know, their investors, right, are valuing the, the company. So it's really foundational, you know, to, um, to measure growth and progress. Um, other measures, though, aren't um, maybe as reliable, you know, in certain industries are well known. And so one example is, you know, new logos. And so this one can be problematic for a company based on its stage of growth for a number of reasons. Um, it's simple in concept, and it usually comes about because, you know, the salespeople they kind of start in the early stages of the company's growth. You're just going to sell to whomever, right? Sell everything you can to whoever will buy it. And then over time, the job tends to gravitate towards current business and current customers because they are, in the view of the customer, they're representative of the company. And so, Justin, you're my sales rep. You know, we, we built this trust. You know, you've convinced me that the, you know, your solution is what my company needs. Uh, I agreed. We bought it. You know, I'm using it. I've got some problems. Well, who am I going to go to? I'm going to go to Justin. He's my my sales rep. He's my guy, right? And so, you as the salesperson are you know dealing with uh, me and other current customers, right? So that comes at the consequence of growth of new customers, and that's what the logo measure is all about. So it's pretty simple, right? Look, we, we need you focused on new customers, Justin. We cannot meet our sales growth objectives, you know, on, on our current customer base alone. Um, but, okay, how are we measuring new logos? Can we measure new logos? And then you can even, again, this is a pretty benign example, and it you know, happens all the time, but really getting at the reliability of that measure in practice, can be difficult. And often it is. I've run into this problem uh, from the data side, certainly, and definition uh, with many banks of where they want to pay people for net new accounts. And the definition of what is new uh, versus existing or what is an existing customer versus a new customer and the timeframes beyond, you know, between events and different things can get really convoluted and it you try to keep pushing back to some degree to to say what's fair what's common sense what's going to be understandable to the person on the other end of this comp plan 
to understand what a new customer is versus an existing customer type of thing. But I, I you know, I'm using a different example, but I, I, you know, what I'm skidding at is that, yeah, I mean, you want net new logos, but it's the idea of how do you support that? We talked about this a little bit too before about the idea of from a process, from a system perspective, you know, can you effectively go discern which ones are, are new and is it going to be a distraction for reps disputing? Hey, this one's new. And you're like, nope, we sold to them one time eight years ago at a different location. Uh, and, you know, this is the first time we sold to this location, but they were in the system and it becomes a master data ma- management problem. And so, yeah, if I saw that metric at a, at a company, I'd be like, okay, how, how are we how are we actually administering this today? What problems is that causing? And yeah. is there a, a different measure that we could use to get the result that we're looking for? Yeah. As opposed it, it, to it, it, this one. New, yeah, business from new customers. Yeah, there, there's a, some you know conceptual um, issues as well in that, okay, ACV, right, or sales volume, right, that's pretty straightforward that, you know, the bigger, the better typically on each deal or transaction. Not so with a logo. So now we've, you know, transitioned into, um, you know, a type of measure that's fundamentally different. And so if, you know, your logo means, you know, three times the sales volume in a particular year versus the logo that I'm, you know, trying to convert, um, is that okay? You know, do we need like tighter parameters on that? So there's just a lot of definition that goes into what is a good sale or transaction under this particular metric? Yeah. It's funny. You keep saying ACV in my head, working with a lot of SaaS cloud companies, you know, a lot of companies when they're startups, they'll start with total contract, like total, total, contract, total value. contract value. And, and oftentimes they'll take, they'll tie in, you know, a payment frequency to the reps over the life of that contract as the people are paying, you know, the reps will continue to get paid in uh, over an annuity type payment. Companies at some point in time try to unwind that. A lot of people will go uh, to ACV where they're taking that total contract value, you know, munged up and then they're dividing it by number of years in the contract and here's an annual contract value. The evolution beyond that, you know, we'll see annual recurring revenue where maybe that you know the one-time services don't count towards that primary measure, and they're going to get paid in a different you know lower commission rate in a different bucket, different measure uh, type of thing. But only the recurring revenue goes towards you know quota quota attainment uh, for your primary measure. And then more recently, as I see this shift into consumption usage based and people uh, you know shifting from net new to mining existing, you know, there's this like net recurring revenue, maybe at the customer level, you know, what is this retention of revenue uh, year to year? And, hopefully, and whether that's a growth metric or a true retention metric, you know, could vary from company to company, but you see like industry uh, evolution, right? When it's hyper growth versus uh, when it's more, you know, at the, the top of that, that growth curve and with companies, right? They go through the same type of uh, stage of maturity of company and and the measures change. What's important changes. Like you kind of the idea of any revenue is good revenue. And then maybe at some point in time they're like, well, only certain margin revenue is good good revenue. And then 
hey, the product mix has to look a little bit different. And there's an evolution over time as to what is important to the company and how do they make that important to the reps. Right. And for the sales comp practitioner, the, the in most industries, I think these changes in the evolution that you speak of is fairly predictable. And it affords someone to say, all right, what what is likely next? What type of measure can we expect is going to be of interest to the leadership? Because that's what tends to happen. Uh, and getting ahead of that is really important. And unfortunately, in a, a, a typical design um, cycle where you know, we're working towards this, this event of changing our plans, you know, by, you know, the start of the performance period, hopefully shortly thereafter. Uh, and we have this limited window of time in which we have to make design decisions. And it, again, this is a, can be a tough one around the reliability, the validity of a measure. But this is something that you can get ahead of and hopefully execute in a, a thoughtful, responsible way so that you avoid the circumstance of rolling out a, a, a new plan or a set of plan changes. It's, it includes a measure that isn't fully baked. And because you, you've now tying people's pay to this measure, you've, you've got a lot of disengaged salespeople. Um, that's what you don't want to happen. Um, so with new measures, I think there's you know this best practice, which is really just testing the measure and making sure the measure is sound first, that we can report it in a way that's accurate and timely, that salespeople understand how they can influence it. You know, what are the levers that they can pull or the behaviors that they can undergo to, to change the outcome if we're talking about a goal-based measure? that all of that is nailed down before you're actually tying somebody's pay to it. Yeah. You've you mentioned a couple of times now this idea of rolling out the plan pretty early in the fiscal period. And I've always talked about, you know, as early as possible. And kind of to me, like the, the last trigger point is, you know, SKO. But in, in companies, some, you know, we'll roll it out beyond that. But I would say like that's kind of the final time to roll it out at sales kickoff. And as you were describing it just now and kind of this idea of people being upset and not understanding the plan, you know, went from 11 points to eight points of commission. And I think about as a sales leader, I would want, you know, my sales kickoff to be the peak of motivation, the raw, raw. People are going to come out of that, you know, hard charging, ready to go and kind of setting the tone for the, for the year. And at the same time, this idea of the sales compensation plan oftentimes does create a distraction, uh, some confusion. I think at more companies, the rollout process is is poor rather than than good. Not done well at a lot of organizations that I've seen. Maybe that's my sample size. The only people that ask for help are the people that need help. Um, but from a sequencing event, I, I would think if it was me, I'd want to get that plan out there. I'd want to get somebody's number out there. And if they have a territory, uh, have that out there before that meeting uh, to try to help address or answer some of those questions or maybe use that meeting as a final you know, explanation, uh, uh, town hall conversation on, on those ideas. But I think to roll it out at the kickoff or even beyond, you're kind of taking some of the 
accelerant out of the rocket ship, right? You're 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 maybe uh, taking a step backwards there on the on the motivation of the team, but certainly a lot of sales leaders would agree with you that get it out early is uh, have it out. Yeah, they'd like to have it out by go or or even before. You know, in reality, that that is only a you know a dream for a lot of companies, and um, not what happens. Yeah, um, and you know, when you think of um, you know core issues that you're trying to fix in or, or redesign, you know, and I look at these surveys, you know, periodically around you know what's top of mind for a sales leader that's it's sales related. You know, quite often it's the the timing of the rollout and rolling out a plan late, which can be, you know, of high consequence, right, to engagement, salesperson engagement. Um, so, yeah, that, that you, you know, the timing, right, s- speaks a lot to the, the plan design process and how well it works or doesn't work. And we can dig into that, we can dig into that in part three of the plan design We should. Series. Let's wrap up part two. And I think the, the last piece of the puzzle you mentioned after the idea of making sure we understand how we're going to market different job rules, what segments are we going after, making sure all these decisions are in place. You talked a little bit about eligibility, who should be on the sales compensation plan or not. We dug into this idea of metrics, how our measures or metrics. We didn't even touch on the, should it be three? Is Should it be two? But uh, we could we could talk about that, but we talked about metrics and kind of the the idea of how to think about it, and what are the risks, right, of of changing a metric and you know taking sales high off the ball, and how do you make sure it makes sense within the context of what the company's trying to achieve, and and what's next for the company, staying ahead of uh, the curve. I think the last piece of the puzzle you teed up was the mechanics, the actual math of the plan. Any thoughts or ideas about people should think about the math of the plan, and maybe even taking one little step back. We didn't. We, we we've talked a lot about this idea of. I've mentioned quotas. We've talked about commissions and different things. But how do people think about should it be a bonus based plan versus commission based plan, or should it be a hybrid commission plus bonus at that target type plan? Um, is that coming the math piece of that, or should that be decided upstream of when we get to the mechanics phase? Probably upstream, and you, when we talk about a bonus or a commission, I mean, some, some of that's just terminology that I think is important as you go into the design process and you're relying on, you know, a group of people, you're, you know, presumably you're not doing this in isolation, um, you know, these terms are going to come up and it's important to have a common uh, definition, you know, for these terms. So if, you know, you say commission, I say commission, or I say bonus, you know, we we know what we're talking about here. So there's, you know, think of a glossary of terms that needs to accompany uh, this process and then, you know, the communication that, that's going to be important. When we get to the point of the the process that is around mechanics and the math, and remember up to this point, you, you alluded to this, you know, we talked about measures and goals or there's target pay on target instead of there should be a target for like high performance. I mean, really what we're trying to do is is um, combine, right, the pay expectations that are really of the, of the incumbent, the salesperson, let's say, the person on the plant. They have certain expectations for pay 
and then the performance that is expected from the employer. And again, the messaging is, hey, if, if you're able to deliver X, then you can expect to earn Y. And, you know, that that is the makings of a, you know, correlation, you know, diagram, right? Pay and performance uh, correlation. Um, and so the mechanics, right, help help kind of solve that puzzle. So what do I need to do to make, you know, Y amount? Complexity in a plan, and when people perceive that the plan is too complex, and that comes up a lot, and I, you know, I'll, I'm asked a lot of times to you know review a company's sales comp plan documents, and you know, I, I can, I'm a pretty quick, pretty quick study. I've been doing it for a while, and I can say, wow, this is really complex. Well, usually what I'm talking about is the math, and that there it is, you know, probably the intent was to be rather precise in terms of what it is the company wants to pay for. So you get into things like, you know, thresholds and linkages and, you know, hurdles and all this stuff. So the math can get really complex in an effort to make the amount of pay for doing something rather precise. Um, and here lies kind of a fundamental question to the, the people that have to make decisions on what what is going to change in the plan is that, you know, how much precision is okay given that the trade-off is simplicity? Because most most people will agree that, it's, you know, simple is better. And we, we want to have simple plans that people can understand. You know, they can understand how, how they're paid. We don't want to have to spend a lot of money to, you know, calculate the payments for, you know, somebody's month's worth of performance. So that's really where the, the pay mechanics piece, I think, comes comes to roost and how complex do we want to be is it like a simple bonus you know if you perform within you know this range that we're going to give you you know this amount of money a little extra or is it you know fairly precise if you perform within this range of your goal then we're going to give you a certain rate of commission and you exceed that you know that range we'll give you another rate of you know it can get complex pretty pretty quick but there are some good standards, right, for calculating pay based on goal achievement and, you know, combinations of different types of outcome. Let me ask this question. I've made the comment before that I've never seen a comp plan that I've, I've said, hey, this is way too simple. <laughs> have you ever seen that plan? Have you? I have, yeah. We, you know, and it comes about when, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, phases of company growth and, you know, in a company's early phases, you know, maybe they are paying 11% for everything, everything you sell. And that's super simple. And that might work well for a while until, let's say, you know, the, the phenomena of, you know, the people are not going after new business because they're earning the money they want to make. Yeah, you, know, you see some differentiated performance. Maybe you want to put a quota into it now or a goal. Yeah, or maybe you acquired a company, right? There's a, a product, you know, a complementary product that your salespeople need to sell. Mm-hmm. But the average selling price is well below, you know, the, the product that they're used to selling. And they're not going to, you know, trouble themselves to go after this new thing that's not going to credit them very much. So that's what introduces, you know, new measures and new math potentially, um, in a comp plan because things just, they get a little more complex and that super simple plan isn't going to get it done anymore. Yep. All right. 
I think this brings us to the end of part two of the three-part series. In part three, we will wrap up the rest of the plan design process. But Scott, thank you for having this conversation with me today. Uh, as always, I walk away with a couple of new ideas and uh, enjoyed hearing your thoughts and perspective on this part of the plan design process. All right. Thanks, Justin. It's been fun. Until next time. And that wraps up another episode of the Sales Compensation Experience. Our goal with the experience is not just to share knowledge, but to spark conversations. So don't be shy. If you have feedback, questions, topic ideas we should cover, or a guest you think we should interview, let's continue the conversation at our exclusive LinkedIn private community called the Sales Compensation Experience. We hope you'll join us there. Until then, keep challenging the status quo and never stop learning.